Hello, church family. Tom here. was asked to read the Holy Scripture. Before I do, I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the promises that are in those words. And we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord God, we just ask for the wisdom from above to pour over us. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, as we read your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're reading uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, and it goes something like this. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God our Father. The word of God, let it fall over you. Good morning, Hillside community. It's good to be with you today. We just finished listening to a poem written by a man named Paul. And this particular poem that we read is embedded in a letter that Paul is writing from a Roman prison. Have you ever noticed how some of the It seems like some of the best letters come from prison. That there's there's something to that. There's something to the kinds of songs, music that we listen to, um, speeches that are given, sermons that are given that, that seem to come from some deeper place, a place of pain or hardship or loss. And those types of of songs or the literature that we read, it it seems to resonate at a deeper place inside of us. Or you think about the kinds of leaders that inspire us, the kinds of leaders that when when they speak, we find ourselves leaning in just a little bit closer, like they hold our attention and they capture our imagination because there's, there's something to the words that they're saying. It's like there's something behind what you're saying and it seems to be coming from a place of pain or you've experienced loss. And when you look at their lives and you see how they move through life, it seems like they have a limp in their step. You know what I'm talking about? And what I find so helpful about this poem is that Paul is looking at his life. He's looking at his circumstances, which are completely out of his control. And, I, and what I see is that he seems to be looking at it through a particular lens. And This lens is what I would call the lens of resurrection that is deeply saturated in a reality uh, that that something 
has shifted and moved Paul's expectations, shaped how he sees his life and the world around him. And this resurrection lens is embedded in a deeper universal truth. When I say universal truth, I mean something that expands even even the earth itself, but it just broadens out into the deepest parts of the universe that this is how things work. This is the created order that we find ourselves living in, that in order for something to spring forth in life, it has to, first of all, die. And that's a pattern that we see. Things die and then they spring forth back into life. We see it in the very fabric of nature. We, we see it at a, at a human physical level. We talked about even, even right now in this moment, how skin cells are dying, they're flaking, they're, they're in the universe itself. Our, our very skin is dying, but then it replenishes itself. So we have death and replenishment. In this very moment, red blood cells inside of our bodies are dying off and, and new ones are springing forth. And we see, uh, we see this in full force right now in, in, uh, in nature itself, how things are springing forth new life. And Paul begins this, this particular um, chapter, chapter two, and he invites us into a particular way of thinking. Here, I want you to think in a particular way. And I want to go back to chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 for a moment. And I want to read just an excerpt out of the message. It's, it's a different translation, but it flows well. And I want you to listen to this. Think of yourselves the way that Christ thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what? Not at all. In fact, when the time came, he set aside those privileges, the, the privilege of deity, and he took on the status of a servant. He, he became human. And I, I love that statement. He became human, put on flesh. And having become human, he stayed human. And it was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privilege. Instead, he lived a selfless obedient life, and then died a selfless, obedient death, and to top it off, the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. And because of that obedience, because of that way of life, God lifted him up. God is the one who exalted him. Now, behind me, you'll, you'll see an image, and it's, it's an image that we're all like, I'm putting my hand right here as if I'm holding it up. But this image is an image that we at Hillside are extremely familiar with. It's something that, that we see when we come into the building. Uh, and for a lot of us, it provides a sense of, of reverence. Um, you, you know that when you come in, this place is marked for something sacred. It, it feels that way in this room. And this image, the cross, uh, brings up all sorts of ideas and concepts and, and feelings it represents uh, something to us as Jesus followers. And then to people in our culture, it, it means lots of different things, but it's a very familiar image that we're very familiar with today. But in the first century, how would people have seen this image? Now, in Latin, 
This word cross comes from the word crux, C-R-U-X. And the ancient understanding of this word is that crux is a profane word. Now think of the implications of that. This is something that's profane. If you found yourself on the wrong side of the empire that was in power, you would most likely end up on a crux. Crux was an extremely negative symbol. It was considered profane, highly offensive to even utter the word. We, we don't speak about crux in public settings because it's just not appropriate. Now today, spring forward into our time, it's a symbol that we wear around our necks, we tattoo it on our bodies, we plant it up on hillsides, it's everywhere. We, we put it up on our walls and our homes and we put it in our, our spaces where we come to worship God. But in the first century, it was extremely profane, it was offensive, it was unspoken. And even beyond that, it was attached to public humiliation. It was, a, it was like public display of shame for everyone to see. To even utter the word was considered profane. Even to the Romans who invented crucifixion on a crux, profane, we don't say it in public. So picture this, along comes this guy, Paul. Paul, a religious teacher, a Jewish rabbi, who's chosen to put on the Christ way of thinking, acting, and feeling it. He's chosen to live into the Christ pattern that we've been talking about. And he's getting ready to face his own possible execution as he sits in a Roman prison against his own will. And what does he say to his friends? He says, remember, when we said yes to Jesus, we said yes to a whole way of life. When we said yes to Jesus, we're, we're also saying, I'm all in. I'm all in with Jesus. The, this Jesus who took on human flesh, and we look deeply at the pattern of his life, and this is the one that, that we are hoping to become more and more like. We are, we are taking on his thinking, his actions, his feelings, how he sees people, how he sees systems, how, how he views power, and what he thinks of when he thinks of um, rising to the top or getting into positions of influence. We, we think about the Jesus way. How did he go about doing that? And then in this poem, we're reminded that this Jesus was obedient to his father. But, but even beyond that, he said he was obedient even to the point of death. And then Paul, Paul takes it into the profane. Think about it for a moment. He says, Yes, he was obedient to death, even death on a, and it's like, oh, Paul, don't say it, don't say it, don't even write these words, even death on a crux. And you can feel the tension in those words. Wait, Jesus, the king, our Messiah, obedient to crux? Remember, this is highly offensive. And then Paul has the audacity to take it even further. And if you read on in verses nine through 10, because of that obedience, God lifted him high. And he uses the word exaltation. This, this my friends, is subversive poetry at its best. Because Paul is taking an extremely offensive and shameful word, a word 
that Romans themselves who invented the very idea of crux couldn't say out loud and then he attaches it to God. Oh my goodness, do you see what's going on here? He takes something profane and attaches it to the word exaltation. Now, everyone knows that you can't take something that's so profane and so offensive and attach it to God because somehow that, that might diminish his holiness. It, it might bring him too far down into the weeds where we live and breathe. And attaching it to this sacred idea of something being exalted, lifted up, praised, held in the highest place, crux, crux leads to exaltation? How can this be? And this, this is part of the reason why I continue to find the Bible so compelling is because it doesn't shy away from the hard edges. It doesn't, it doesn't mince words. It, it steeps us in the deepest parts of what we might consider holy or what we might think of as outside of our levels of comfortability or what makes us feel at ease or at peace. Exaltation attached to something so profane, something so shameful, so humiliating. How, how can this be? Now, during this time in history, you had men who were in positions of power, authority, referred to as the Caesars. And the Caesars were seen, they were viewed by the people as these are the ones who are sent from the gods above. They, they were sent from the heavens down to the earth and they were to be addressed and called sons of God. Even so far as to say, these are the ones that we would address as Lord and Savior. And they represented the idea of power. When, when you looked at them, you said, that's exaltation. That's power. They didn't humble themselves to anyone or to anything. Did you catch that? Because, but because to humble yourself to anyone or anything is a sign of weakness. And the question would, would permeate in the culture, in the ethos, in their nation, how can a God lower himself to our level? How, how can that be a sign of power? The sons of God, these sons of God are the ones that are leading us into victory through great battles. These are the ones who are bringing peace on earth. This is what power looks like. This is true exaltation. And if you want to be exalted, it came through power, not through weakness. And Paul, here's Paul. And he keeps insisting that Jesus is Lord. He keeps saying it wherever he goes, throughout the empire, throughout every city, he just keeps insisting that Jesus is Lord. And he invites us to make the same proclamation. Now, I want you to hear this, friends. And I want you to think about what that means for us today. To confess that Jesus is Lord is to simultaneously renounce nationalism. This is why Paul is in prison, because he keeps insisting that Jesus is Lord which means that Caesar is not, which means that I, I won't bow down to your imperial propaganda. I won't bow down to your ideas of power. I only bow to one king, and that is Jesus. And he is Lord, not Caesar. And because he keeps saying that, he, he's now considered an enemy of the state. And he's about to say, he's, he's probably gonna 
faced the same fate that his so-called Lord faced. The Romans already took care of Jesus. And if you choose this pattern in life, crux is going to be your fate. Reminds me of the things that Jesus said to his own disciples. If anyone wants to follow me, you must take up your own crux. You have to take up your cross and follow me. That's the pattern. But notice what Paul does here is he, he turns the whole thing upside down in this poem. And he, and he says, actually, in God's kingdom, in God's economy, weak is the new strong. Again, flipping it. And remember that. Weak is the new strong. You, do you, are you catching what Paul is spinning out here? What he's saying is, is that, listen, it's going to appear like Caesar has the final word, like this whole system of power that you find yourself in. But let me remind you of something, a bigger universal truth that we're all a part of, resurrection. Resurrection, that Christ pattern, death gives way to life. That's reality. And herein lies the power of resurrection that we talk about, this lens that Paul is looking through. Now, it's not that we look at the resurrection as a one-time event and say, well, that's something that happened 2,000 years ago because it's so much more than that. As Christians, we hold on to this universal truth that not only did the resurrection happen, but that it continues to happen today. And, and we live with this hope. We live with this kind of this whole thing spinning through our minds, how we see, how we feel, how we act, so much so that, that we find ourselves saying things around here at Hillside, like we're, we're saying resurrection happens around here. It just, it happens. New life is always springing forth around here in the Hillside community because we've chosen to take the Christ pattern as the only way to live. Now, it may seem like Caesar holds all the cards here, and it may appear that way, but in Jesus, there's another way. There's another view of reality. And in Jesus, we've chosen to take on a different approach. And we model ourselves after the way of Jesus, that we look at Jesus who didn't take up a sword or raise up an army or move in through force or battle or coercion. He took on the posture of humility. That's what the poem says. He became human, and then he decided to stay human. And in that, what, what I see, and I think when we look at that, is we see how much God values humanity. He, he values it so much that he actually humbled himself and came down from the heavens to the earth and became just like one of us. How, how can a God be so weak? to become human. And yet in Jesus, what we see is the full glimpse of what God is actually like. In this poem, Paul, it seems like he's in a place of weakness, but in reality, he's taking on the Jesus way of life where weak is the new strong. And instead of Jesus calling upon his full divinity, calling upon his full power, he chose to take on the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He lowered himself. He never exalted himself. Instead, he chose the way of crux. And this led to his death. This, this goes back to the things that 
we continued to hear him say in his teachings that actually in, in my kingdom, the first or last and the last are first. The peacemakers are blessed. The, the weak, the humble, the meek, those are, those are the ones who are actually going to inherit the earth. And what we see in Jesus is actually this pattern that death gives way to life. And it was through death that God broke into the entire universe and declared good news for everyone. God isn't angry with us. God is actually for us. So much so that he became one of us. And you think about how empowering that is to say that God is with us everywhere all the time. God is always with us. And that he's always hearing and answering the cry of the oppressed or the ones who have pushed out into the margins. And if you think about that, if we've chosen to take on the way of Jesus, every time we, as Jesus followers, respond to the cries of oppression and choose to break our silence, but we respond through action to the cries of oppression. And as we choose to stand up and march peacefully, against injustice, what I hear God saying is, I'm right there with you because that's the kind of God I am. I've humbled myself, I've come down, I've identified, I'm right there with you. I, I took on the form of a servant and that actually in my economy, weak is the new strong. So when we step in and we advocate for the abused, when we in positions of power, privilege, speak against injustice. When we break our silence, he's with us. That's the promise. That's extremely empowering to think about it. But if I do that, I, I might lose everything. And yet that's the way of Jesus. This God reminds us what seems like crux, what seems like the end, exaltation is coming. It's just around the corner. That's, that's really good news. Hold on. Continue to walk in the way of Jesus. Exaltation is coming, but, but don't exalt yourselves. Let God exalt you. Let, let God be the victor. Let God lead you. But it's always through this pattern of weakness. It doesn't come through power. Now think about this for a moment. To the wife who feels so disconnected from her husband right now, from her life, who's, who's lost control. Exaltation is coming? Really? Because resurrection happened, it continues to happen, and that reality is woven into the very fabric of the universe, so much so that it's even in our own blood cells. That, that's how close it is our skin and our blood and our bodies. And we can boldly proclaim around here in, in Walnut Creek, in Concord, in Pleasant Hill, in the East Bay, we can boldly proclaim resurrection happens and is happening. See, are you catching what Paul is saying here, friends? It, because this is gonna blow your mind if you start to spin out the implications of this. In this very moment, right now, whatever you're facing, it may feel like 
crux, but exaltation is coming. But hear this, exaltation isn't where we begin. We don't begin at the top. It's not, it's not the pattern. Exaltation, in fact, exaltation, if we think about it, is gonna look a lot different than our ideas of power and what we see in our own systems as the idea of power or strength. Now, when you're in it and you're losing and you're struggling and, and things are falling apart and you've lost control, one of the things that I see in my own life and that I continue to see in the pattern of others that is going to overwhelm you is the feeling that nothing is ever going to change, right? Have you ever felt that way? This, this is it, it's not going to change. This, this, is, this is how the rest of my life is going to go. And according to Paul, if what he's saying is true, even though it seems like crux exaltation is coming, is, is that true? Right? So we don't exalt ourselves. We don't exalt our church community. We don't, we don't do that. We say Jesus first, G the Jesus way. We say uh, res around here, resurrection happens. And around here, weak is actually the new strong. Think about that. Let's, let's bring that into our life, into our world, into our community. Listen, divorce as painful and as hard as it is, doesn't have the final word over your life. Addiction, loss, people in our own families who suffer from addiction, addiction doesn't have the final word over our lives. The chaos in your family, your, your loss of a job, the uncertainty of the future, none of it. None of it holds the final word over your life. It absolutely feels heavy. It, it seems like this is the end. It feels like I, I can't hold this. That is true. You can't hold it. But, it. but it's not held by the heaviness. It's held by Christ. That somehow Christ has the final word. That's what we lean into. And what Paul says here in this poem is, is what seems like crux actually exaltation is coming because ultimately Christ holds the final word. Hold on, hold on to hope, my friends. Hold on because exaltation is coming even in this. Now, for those of you who are, are listening right now and you're Questioning, do, do I want to say yes to Jesus? Do, is this, is this the way to live? Is this the way to be in the world? Do, do I want to yield my life to Jesus as Lord over all of me? I want to throw out an invitation for you. Wherever you are listening, wherever you're sitting, maybe you're on a walk, I don't know where, where you find yourself in this moment. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, I wanna invite you in this moment to respond, to simply say, yes, I wanna follow you. I wanna live according to the Christ pattern. I declare with my mouth, with my lips, 
Jesus is Lord. Which means that Jesus is Lord of my life, that I surrender my will to him. I give myself over to him as, as my rightful ruler, as the one that I'm trusting the final outcome of my life, that wherever he takes me, wherever he leads me, that he's not somebody who's going to shame me or condemn me or push me down or embarrass me. He's the one who actually is going to exalt me. And I'm tired of trying to call the own shots of my life and I'm tired of trying to be in control of this life. I can't do it any longer. So I invite you to yield yourself to him as Lord and Savior of your life. And in that moment, can we just rejoice and just say thank you, Jesus, for the way that you're moving in our world right now, how you're bringing people to yourself and inviting people into this way, inviting people into this whole new way of, of seeing life in reality, of living resurrection right now. And for those of you who are listening and you're feeling like, I, I don't know what's ahead for me. I don't know if there's anything good ahead. I don't know what God can do with this kid of mine, what God is up to in my marriage or what God is up to in my inner life. Can I just remind you that exaltation is coming, that even what feels like crux is not the end, that Christ holds the final word over your anxiety and your depression, that Christ isn't one to shy away from that, but moves into those areas of your life. That exaltation is coming. And it may not look like what you think it's supposed to look like, but as we further yield ourselves to Jesus, we trust, we hope, we cling on to the reality that Jesus has got this, that he's with us. Remember, friends, what seems like crux could just be the beginning because right around the corner, exaltation is coming. Grace and peace and hope and the deepest kind of shalom be with you, move in you, through you. I speak this over your life, over your family, over every thing that you deem important, all of it, held together by Jesus. Thank you. Grace and peace be with you, friends.